You are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. loves you. Jesus loves you. Peace, sister. Peace. Sister, love, Jesus loves you. Brothers and sisters, I have some groovy news for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. John 3.16 says, so God, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting love. Isn't that fantastic? That is so fantastic. And so we go into all the world and we preach the gospel. And the other neat thing about this is that we have freedom, freedom in Jesus. Oh, I just love that movie with that hunk, Mel Gibson. And at the end, he just yells, freedom. Oh, that's my favorite part. That's my favorite part of the movie. So... You know, you know uh, sister, I... I, I appreciate what you've been saying. And, Grace, and what my name is Grace. Grace. Yeah, hey, Grace. Grace, nice to meet yeah, you. Nice. You know, I appreciate what you're saying, and what you're saying is truth. But, you know, what about, what about sin? What about consequences, like the consequences to our action? The Bible tells us that sin pays wages. Well, that's a neat thing. When we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins, he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore. Oh, what, what a Are wonderful... Are you kidding me? Don't listen to her. She's going to end you up in hell. And trust me, that's a place you don't want to go. Psalm 9 says, The wicked shall be turned to hell and all the nations who forget God. We've been listening to this crap for too long. All this fairy, fairy, mamby, pamby. what happens? I can do whatever I want. And in the end, I just say, I'm sorry. And I'm fine. Peace, brother. You know what? Wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leads you to, that leads you to destruction. Very good. There's many of you taking that wide road, hanging out on that wide way, listening to this gospel. Pastor, you need to give them the goods. You need to tell them the truth. You need to quit going out to Tarshish like Jonah did. You need to go to Nineveh, and you need to say 
Stop sinning or you're going to go to hell. Got it? What you're saying is truth. There, there, there is a place in hell, uh, called hell, and, and you're right. Nobody wants to go there. But you know what? You're forgetting the whole aspect of love. You know what? The Bible tells us that God is love. You know, in, in fact, Jesus said out of all the commandments, the most important was love. Love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor. Seriously? Love? You're going to start talking about love? Let's talk about this lady and her little love for Mel Gibson. You know where that goes? I got some word here. Hold on. But I say unto you that whoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery and her with her already in his heart. So let's apply it to our little friend over here. But I say unto you that whoever looketh upon a man to lust after him hath committed adultery with her already in her heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For if it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Pastor, you need to get rid of her. She's a plague because these weak-minded ones will be following her all over if you don't do something about it. You know, what we see here is two completely different camps. We have the camp of grace, and we have the camp of truth. You see, the Bible tells us that we are the church. This isn't a church. This is a building, but the body of Christ is the church. And each one of us have been influenced by different camps. And you see, grace is absolutely truth, to walk in love, to, to stand in that place and understand that si our sins have been forgiven, that Jesus Christ wants relationship with us, and it's a fantastic message. But yet if we forget the truth of the word, where the truth that, you know what, there is consequences, and sin does pay wages, and there is a reality of a place called hell, then we miss out on either side. Now, some of us have been influenced by different churches, love churches, and some of us have been influenced by different judgment type of churches that have either bittered us or sweetened us, and we miss what God has for us, which is somewhere right in the middle. For our God is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. And we see that in John 1.14, where it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So then what is grace and truth? See, grace is the unmerited favor of God towards people. Grace is something that we have not earned or not deserved. How many people love God's stories? Man, I love when God does absolutely amazing things in people's lives. How many people love to hear what God is doing all around the globe? It's, it's awesome. You know, and I have been part of these God stories. God has blown me away from so many times of, of things that, man, I don't necessarily deserve or I have definitely not earned it. 
You know, I was thinking about a, a time where, where I wanted to be able to take my wife away on a trip to be able to do a vacation, but the finances were really tight. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do the buy now, pay later thing. I just want to, to be able to go in and enjoy the trip and this kind of stuff. So I said to my wife, I said, you know what, honey? It's not going to happen this year. I said, we'll just sort of hang out around the house and we'll do some things and maybe we'll start socking away and maybe next year we can go away someplace. And she's like, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, maybe a a week or two weeks later, we we open up the mail and there's a check in there for $5,000. And a little note from, from a guy who I don't know really that well saying, Pastor, I just really believe that you need to take your wife on a vacation. This is completely for you. Enjoy. And I'm just like, I was blown away by the faithfulness of God. See, I didn't go on Facebook and post, oh, I just would love to take my wife out this year on a, on a nice trip, but can't do it. Uh, please pray for us that money will come in. You know, because that's often, it's manipulation. You know, I'm just hoping somebody's going to read that and be able to say, oh, poor guy. You know what, I can do that. Let me do No, when you just take something and it completely just say, God, It's yours, Lord, whatever you have. And then, boom, the Lord surprises you. It truly is that kiss from heaven. Amen? Amen. Frederick Buckner says, Grace is something that you can never get but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you deserve the tastes that raspberries and cream brings or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. Grace is unconditional love and acceptance. Such love is the foundation upon which all healing of human spirit rests. It also is the essence of God, for God is love. We see that in 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I don't know what kind of things make you happy or what kind of things you like, but you know one of the things that I really enjoy? I enjoy watching musicals. I went to a schoolyard, I majored in music and minored in drama, and I, I really enjoy the whole musical thing. And the very first musical that I ever saw in my life, I was, uh, I was a- away with the Bible College, we were on a missions trip, and we had a layover for a night in England, and I happened upon, from the hotel, I happened upon tickets to go see Les Miserables. And I'm kinda like, oh, this is cool, with my first musical, and I went and saw it, and I just fell in love with the story. And now they've got that whole new movie that came out uh, uh, the, uh, about Les Mis and this kind of thing. But the thing that I love about Les Mis is the picture that it gives about grace. See, your main character in Les Mis is Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean goes to prison because he steals a loaf of bread to feed his family. It's a, it's a time of hunger. It's a time of starvation. And, and many people are dying because they can't eat. So as he steals this loaf of bread, he goes to jail for 15 years. And as he's in jail, he's, it, it's not jail like we picture it. It's a hard labor camp where they're slugging and they're working and they're being whipped and they're being beaten and they're living a really crummy lifestyle. So as that's happening, after 15 years, Javert, who is the, uh, who is the prison uh, warden, I guess, or, or the police officer, he calls up Jean Valjean, prisoner 24601. He says, come before me. You get your yellow ticket of leave today. Do you know what that means? He goes, yes, it means I'm free. It means I finally get to get out of this prison for stealing bread, and I get to enjoy freedom. And Javert says, you're wrong. He says, this is your yellow ticket of leave. We're going to give you basically a weekend off, and then you have to report back, and you're going back to the pen because you are a thief. And once a thief, always a thief. 
So he gives him this yellow ticket, and Jean Valjean goes out. He tries to find work to be able to raise some cash, and he can't because he's got this, this little piece of paper that, that identifies him as a thief. And as he goes, they say no, but now they know who he is. And as he walks out, he gets beat by people because he's walking around basically with a sign upon his chest saying, I am a crook. Imagine that. Each one of us, the Bible says we've fallen apart, we've fallen away from, from, from the Lord. Each one of us have stepped away, we've sinned, we've fallen short of his glorious standards. Imagine we had to wear that across our chest. I am a thief because once you steal once, once a thief, always a thief. So he, he goes there and he's getting beat, he's getting poorly treated, then he meets this priest. And the priest invites him in for a meal and he sits down at the table and he eats like a, like a hungry dog. And all the nuns are disgusted because his table manners are so poor. But the guy's starving. And then the priest puts him up in, in, in his home for the night. And Jean Valjean wakes up in the night and he says, you know what? Once a thief, always a thief. He says, I can't make it on this world because everywhere I go, I'm identified by this yellow piece of paper of who I am. So he gets up and he takes a bag and he shoves silverware and he shoves all kinds of silver into this, into this bag and he runs off in the middle of the night. He's caught by the police and he's brought back and he's thrown down before the priest. The priest that he just stole from. And he says, this guy has been found with all this silver. We know that silver, silver is yours. And he gave us this crazy story that you gave it to him. Give us your word what happened here and we will make sure that he, that he will never see light again. And the priest looks at the police officers and he says, you know what? Thank you so much for your due diligence of bringing this man back before me. I'm so glad that you did, but what he's saying is absolutely true. I gave it to him. And I'm glad you brought him back because, my friend, you left so early that I didn't get to give you the best gift. And he reaches behind, he reaches up tall, and he pulls down these two silver candlesticks, which are worth the most. He says, you forgot, I also gave these to you. That is grace. That is grace that blows me away. That somebody steals from you, they rob from you, and all of a sudden they're, they're put back. It's kind of like, yes, this is the guy. This is the guy that did it. Get him out of my sight. I tried to be kind to him, and he bit me in the back. But to say, I want to give you everything. I want to establish you. I want to release you with a blessing. That is what Jesus Christ did for every single one of us in this room. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. Grace is the first ingredient that is necessary for growing up in the image of God. Grace is unbroken, uninterrupted, unearned, accepting relationship. It is the kind of relationship that humanity had with God in the Garden of Edom. Adam and Eve were loved, they were provided for, they knew God's truth, and they were secure that they had no shame no anxiety. They could be who they were truly created to be. Can you picture that? What if it would like to have been in Eden? No guilt. No shame. His grace, his love was everywhere. Man, even the body of Christ, we wear so many masks to hide who we are because we're ashamed of our past. We're ashamed of if anybody finds out who I really am, they won't accept me because we want love. 
We want acceptance. We desire friendship. Truth is the second ingredient which is necessary for growing up in the image of God. Truth is what's real. It describes how things really are. Just as grace is the relationship aspect of God's character, truth is the structural aspect of his character. Truth is the skeleton life hangs on and adds shape to everything that life hangs on to. See, God's truth leads us to what is real, to what is accurate. Just as our DNA contains the form of our physical life, uh, God's truth contains the form that our soul and spirit need to be able to take. Truth is, uh, is uh, on its own, though, has many problems. See, see, we had Kurt over there who was speaking to us this morning in truth. But yet he was mean. He didn't seem to care about people. All he cared about is people who were violating his rules, his standards. All he cared about is wiping away the bad. And he had none of the compassion that grace demonstrated. In fact, at times he was just uncaring. In short, he had no relationship aspects of forgiveness, favor, mercy, compassion. All those attributes that flowed freely from grace. If people would fail, he'd just throw them away. Say, you know what? You're not worth it anyways. See, that's the problem with, with truth. If we lean on the truth side, then all of a sudden judgment becomes a part of who we are. Somebody makes a mistake, and it's kind of like, boom, that doesn't line up with the Scripture. Somebody steps out of line, and boom, we cut them off. Yet, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of His glory. So how do we win? We're in a battle that we can never, ever, ever win. All of us, to some degree, have experienced both of these camps. The loving side where anything goes, and the hard side where we allow nothing to slide. What you may not understand is these two camps are really symbols of the human condition after the fall. For after the fall, sin ripped grace and truth apart. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they both had grace and truth that was united in one under God. When they sinned, they drove a wedge between themselves and God, and they lost grace. See, without grace, Adam and Eve then felt shame. Isn't shame a terrible weapon the enemy uses? Because if we carry shame around, we don't want anybody to know who we are because we're so ashamed of it. So we hide. And God comes down the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? And he hid from him because he knew that he was naked. That shame is something that is going to hold us back if we don't say, God, this is who I am, Lord. I freely give it to you. God, I want to be whole. I want to be under that image and I don't want to carry shame around anymore. So then what does God do? He gives Adam the truth in the form of a law. But there's one big problem. God gives them the truth without grace. And Adam and Eve try to live up to God's standards and they soon find out that they could never ever do it. Have you ever failed at an impossible task? Have you ever been set up for failure? And I've been there. You know, when I was a youth pastor in Calgary, it's funny because in Calgary, it seems like every pastor, you're not a pastor unless you play golf. Every time the courses are open, it's kind of like, come on, pastors, let's go. Man, I even went to Costco and bought my own clubs. I don't know why. I hate golf. 
But you know what? It was like, boom, we're playing golf. Hey, you get to meet people. You get to talk to them. You've got 18 holes where they've got your undivided attention. You've got theirs. It's a great relaxing game. You're going to love it. No, it's awful. It's terrible. I hate it. So when I first moved to Cold Lake, my very, very first week here, I had two guys from the church who wanted to get to know me. said, hey, pastor, what do you say we take you golfing? I'm like, great, it's here in Cold Lake too. So I said, okay, and I went golfing with them, and these two guys were pretty serious golfers. One was Ryan Langlois, he's not here anymore, but it was Ryan, and the other was Ben Dick, and he's still here. And, uh, and as they were playing, these guys, they all hit their, their, their shot and just go straight and perfect down the course, and there was my turn, and I hit the ball, and it just went sailing somewhere in the bush. And I'm just like, oh. So they're like, oh, that's okay, you know what, one shot, don't worry about it. But man, it took me like 30 shots to get it from the, from the, from the tee off all the way up the hole. I, I remember going and finding my ball and just throwing it forward because I could hit it straighter if I threw it than if I hit it with my club. And I got so frustrated. In fact, after that game was over, they never invited me to play golf again. That was the last time I ever played golf in my life was on seven years ago here at this church. I was set up for failure. I wasn't a golfer. Man, I like playing Texas Scrambles where it's the best ball and it's never mind that they use anyways. Have you ever been set up for failure? Have you ever tried really hard to make an impression and impress somebody? But you know what? The, more hard, the harder that you try, it doesn't matter because it's just you're deemed for failure. Truth without grace is judgment. And literally, it sends you straight to hell. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans. Romans 3, 19, 20 says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. When we look at those scriptures and what they say about the law, about truth without grace, we see that that holds us in a spiritual prison. Galatians 3.23 says, Before it was possible to be saved from the punishment of sin by putting our trust in Christ, we were held under the law. It was as if we were becoming, being kept in prison. We were kept this way until Christ came. Christ and the sacrifice that he did on the cross for each and every one of us was what reunited grace and truth yet still these two camps are so prevalent in today's society which way do you lean are you a type of person who's like you know what i can do whatever i want man i can live how i want to live as long as i'm on church sundays i'm going to be okay and you walk in grace it's just kind of like man what we're doing is we're cheapening the work that christ did on the cross or you over here where it's just like, you know what? Truth is what's important. We need the Word in our life and we need to make sure that we line up to the Word of God because if we don't line up, we're going to be cut off and that club is going to come down and get us because God is an angry God who's just waiting for us to step out of line and that's when He's going to get us. James 2.10 says, For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. Like truth without grace is judgment, if we lean the other way, grace without truth is licensed to do whatever we want, whenever we want. There's no consequences, which seriously is just foolishness. 
Galatians 5.13 says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's what it's all about. Yes, God has given us freedom. Yes, God has given us the sea of forgetfulness. Yes, God has been able to do all this kind of stuff, but He's given that to us so we can come into relationship with, who, with Him. But don't be silly. Sin still pays wages. And the wages of sin is still death. Galatians 5.19 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a scripture we don't like because I think every single one of us in this room have fallen under one of those categories where it's kind of like, God, I've blown it. I've fallen so short of your glory, God. Would you restore me, God? Because God, I want to walk in relationship, in that covenant relationship with you, God. Lord, I trust you. We need to walk together as saints of God where we are right in the middle of grace and truth. With grace alone, we are safe from condemnation, but we cannot experience intimacy. But when the one who offers grace also offers truth, we respond with our true selves. That is where, it's really in, that is where real intimacy is possible. Real intimacy always comes in the company of truth. Jesus, with the work that he accomplished on the cross, allows us to step into a divine, intimate relationship with him that can only be accomplished with truth and with grace. You know what? I think the best story that shows who or what the character of Christ is is Jesus with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. You know, I'm going to just get you to close your eyes for a second. I want to try to paint a picture for you. So here we have a lady. She's caught in the very act of adultery. She was dragged out by an angry mob and thrown at the feet of Christ. She probably wasn't wearing much. Maybe she had a sheet wrapped around her. Maybe she didn't. I imagine she's weeping because she's guilty. And she knows that her life is over. For she knows the law. And the Pharisees, the angry mob, shout out to Christ. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says that we need to stone her. What do you say? Jesus bends over. And he takes his finger and he just starts drawing in the sand. Then he gets up and he addresses this mob and he says, he who is out sin cast the first stone. Oh man, I imagine the, the mob got excited. Come on, 
I'm going to cast this first stone. I am the one who has no sin. I am the head Pharisee. I am the one who is, who is blameless, who is spotless. But as he gets ready to cast a stone, he looks to another Pharisee who's his buddy, his friend. And that buddy knows that if I throw this stone, that guy knows who I am. That guy knows that I have sinned. So they all kind of hesitantly, they're cheering one another. Come on, one of you throw the stone. One of you step out in the law. The law has to be satisfied. But no one's got the guts. No one's got the ability. No one's got the, uh, the, the perfect record. So slowly those stones, I can hear them thudding on the ground. Dunk, dunk, dunk. As they just let the stones go and slowly walk away defeated. And as the very last person drops a stone and walks away, there's still one who has the ability to be able to pick up one of those stones and toss it. But he looks at that woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they are none. They've left. They're gone. Then he says something that just absolutely represents grace. He says, neither do I condemn you. The one who had the authority to pick up a rock, the one who had the authority to, ca- to, to, to walk out the law, says, neither do I condemn you. But you see, the story doesn't stop there. See, if the story stopped there, she could have went back to her old life and just said, hey, Jesus doesn't condemn me. I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do and go right back into it. But the story doesn't stop there. He ends off with... I no longer, I, I too do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. That is where he brings in the law, the standard, and says you need to walk in both grace and truth. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil was torn, and when the veil was torn, he reunites grace and truth which Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. The second Adam brings forth the conclusion of something that was lost, something that was desperately needed in the body of Christ, and he reunites it. Yet today, in our society, we still have churches, we still have people who camp on either the side of grace or on the side of law, and the Lord is like, no, they need to be married. They need to be commingled. They need to be together, because in the middle is where he is. I'm going to close the service a little bit different this morning. We're going to close the service around the Lord's Supper table in the, end, in, the, in the experience of communion. See, communion is a real intimate piece of, piece of, our, our, of our faith. Communion is not something that we need to take lightly or just kind of like, okay, well, we're just eating the bread and eating the cracker. Let's go. But Jesus commands us to take this in remembrance of Him. My friends, we need to remember Jesus. We need to take as many opportunities as we can just to say, Jesus, I need to be refreshed. I need to be renewed. I need to be rejuvenated, God. Because Lord, You are my everything. 
And as we partake of communion today, instead of uh, the ushers passing them out, which is kind of your normal way to do it, I'm just going to invite you guys to spend a few moments in, in worship and in prayer and just say, God, would you examine my heart this morning, God? And Lord, if I'm a little bit off balance on either the grace side or the law side, Lord, would you just bring back into fruition what is wrong in my heart? Would you examine my heart, God, and have me be able to stand before you and say, God, if I'm really honest before you this morning, then I can say that, you know what, I live my week however I want to live it. And I come out on Sundays just because that's what we do. It's a traditional thing. But you know what? I'm, not, I'm living such a grace-filled life that I'm not counting the costs. Or Lord, I'm walking such in a place of judgment that I become a prickly person. And Lord, and when people, instead of uh, being that, that witness, instead of being that person that says, come, this is what it looks like to be a saint of God, I, I, I become prickly and I become something that, that, that the media judges and says, this is what a Christian is. Look, you guys don't want Christianity because see, this is the fruit of Christianity. And it's such a lie from the pit of hell. All have sinned. All have fallen short of His glorious standards. But we can come before Him and say, Papa, would you just bring alignment to my spirit this morning? God, Your Word says that You are the potter and I'm the clay. And I give You my life right now, God, to mold, to shape, to form in that precious image. As believers, we need to look different from the world. For we've been set apart. The Bible tells us at the end there's going to be the sheep and the goats and they're going to be all mixed together. And then Jesus is going to sift us. The goats and the sheep. And he's going to say to the sheep, come with me. Come for your eternal reward. That is balance. That is Christ living in me in an explosion of my faith and an explosion of love and a sense of saying, God, I can't do it on my own, God. Lord, I need you to hold me accountable. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to daily speak to me. You said that it's better if I go because I'm sending a comforter. I'm sending one who's going to be a conscience, who's going to walk with us and talk with us and mold us and shape us and form us in the image that you're wanting, God. And Lord, that is what I yield to you this morning. For you are good. In Christ's mighty name. And then once you spend that time in his presence, and once you spend that time saying, God, if there's anything I need to repent of, I want to lay it down at your feet, God. Then I ask you to come. Partake of the communion on your own this morning. We're not going to lead you through a communion just before you and the Lord and say, God, your word says to, that we need to be smart about taking communion because, Lord, if we don't count the cost that we drink judgment upon ourselves. So, God, this morning, I'm not going to flippantly take it but God, I really want to walk in that place saying, God, examine my heart 
and may it be pure. For God, you are God. And my friends, the great news is I don't care if you're so far on the grace side or you're so far on the truth side, the Lord in an instant can bring us right back in the middle of where he wants to be with a heart that just says, I can't do it on my own. I need you to guide me. In Christ's mighty name we ask it. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.